Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, um, especially today, I pray that you would uh, strengthen me and equip me to preach your word truly and bless your people with the life-giving gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Abraham believed God. He believed that God really would deliver what he'd promised. He believed his word. He believed God's word. He believed God's character and his intent towards him. And I I think, really until this week, I had slightly um, misheard this famous... uh, it's it's, It's from Genesis 15, and it's quoted by Paul here in Romans 4. As if the meaning was Abraham believed God, so he got those promises that God had said. Have you, I don't know if, you, if you've heard it that way, but that's not what the text says. It says he believed God, he believed that God would give him these blessings that he promised, and his belief was counted to him as righteousness. So his, as a negative definition of righteousness, meaning not unrighteous, right? being free from sins. Abraham, we know manifestly, was himself not righteous. We see quite plainly in his shady dealings with his wife and the king of Egypt and all that stuff, he's not a righteous man. Like the rest of humanity, he is a sinner. He is not righteous. But because he believes in God, because he has faith in God, we have two English words for what is always just the same word in the original biblical languages. Right? Belief or faith, same word. He has faith in God. And because of that faith, he's counted as righteous. He is accounted for what he is in himself eminently not. And I think we, have, uh, we gloss over what a deep mystery this is, that right at the beginning of Torah, the very beginning of God's word, very, the very early chapters, Genesis 15, we get this very cryptic description of this exchange with Abraham, that he believes he's accounted as righteous. We're familiar with this word, accounted of righteous, because it's in Romans, it's part of the preaching of the new covenant. But this is every bit as strange as the incident of Abraham where he meets Melchizedek, like the priest without origin, and makes an offering to him. And we see that and we're like, what is going on? We should have the same thing with Genesis 15. He believes and he's counted as righteous? What is going on? This is a wild exchange of things. It's a deep mystery. And it's incredibly significant, a significant that St. Paul spends most of chapter 4 and this, a large portion here in, in Romans unpacking that this accounting as righteous takes place before circumcision, before there's any outward sign of the covenant. It takes place before the law, not just by a little bit, but by 700 years. So lest there be any thought like, well, then Abraham got Torah and he kept it. You know, well, 700 years before the law comes, Abraham, as a free gift, is accounted as righteous. In this, then, um, what God has given us is a picture, an embodiment of something that even Christ in his earthly life couldn't embody for us because Christ is the bringer of the gospel. He never had to receive forgiveness because he was himself perfectly righteous. 
So in the figure of Abraham, we have this complementary picture of what does the gospel look like when it's received? And we see it looks like believing and being counted as righteous. Abraham prefigures what it looks like to receive the gospel, to not have your sins counted against you simply because you believe in the promised blessing and goodness of Almighty God. This is the gospel then that hidden in prophecy in the life of Abraham in this cryptic verse in Genesis 15, that 2100 years later, under the shadow of night, Jesus then unveils to Nicodemus in what Martin Luther calls the Bible within the Bible, John 3.16. Anyone who believes in him, Jesus being the, man of the, the son of the, of the father, anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's actually um, an enthymeme, a collapsing of the full message of the gospel that then St. Paul, the Holy Spirit, inspires him to tease out. It's so rich, John 3.16, that it takes a whole book of Romans to just unpack what's going on in there, right? That because you believe in Christ, who is God, and is also the bringer of the promises of God, is himself the word of God, therefore, we are counted righteous, so that we are able to dwell with a righteous God and not be incinerated and therefore enjoy eternal life with him now and for all time. Right? That, that's what is, being, is distilled in John 3.16, that verse that all Christians should have memorized. It's, we hear it all the time. It was not an accident that um, Thomas Cramer placed it there in our prayer book to be heard so many Sundays in the comfortable words. We have this free gift just as Abraham did mysteriously. We now have with an unveiled mystery. We believe in Jesus and we are accounted as righteous. And just to be clear, it's not, there's a a meaningful distinction. It doesn't say uh, believe Christian theology. It doesn't say even believe in the doctrine of justification by faith. These are actually secondary descriptions of the real thing, which is believing in Jesus, the person, the person who right now is watching us from his throne in heaven and interceding for us. Simply looking to him with the eye of the heart and saying, I believe in you. That's believing in Jesus. And then the moment we believe in him, we realize, oh, and I need your mercy, which is why the root of all prayer is that prayer we pray in different versions every Sunday, the Kyrie. Lord, have mercy upon us. We just sung it in the Great Litany. Lord, have mercy upon us. That's the cry of belief. And so I spent many, many hours this week reading in different systematic theologies in different Protestant and Catholic traditions. Um, actually, I was sharing some of this with Mike this week. That, and I think that theologians in books seem to make a mess of this teaching in one of two ways. On the one hand, some theologians want to then sort of try and efface the gift quality, the freeness of this gift, by saying, well, then you've got to do these works to kind of retroactively prove it, that you really did it, and it becomes not a gift. But then the other way of kind of messing up this, the Bible within the Bible is by making it as if it's just this one-time thing you did once when you were 14. You had faith until you were justified. It's all in the past. The reason it's in the scripture to be read and heard and continually received is because faith doesn't exist chiefly in the past. It exists chiefly in the present. 
It's something that we refresh every time we look to God with faith. And every time we come to God with faith, simply believing that He is and has promised His mercy towards us in Jesus Christ, our, our being accounted righteous is refreshed. The only image I can come up with, because I have a very tired brain this week, is when you do control R on your browser. You're just refreshing it. For those of you who don't use hotkeys, that's refresh in the, in the browser. <laughs> Our faith exists in the present. It's refreshed each time, every day, many times a day. And we see this in the life of Abraham. He didn't just have faith this one moment in Genesis 15. He had faith five odd years before when God said, hey, wander out of your homeland to a place I'll show you. Okay, God. He had faith when God said, yeah, you're going to have this incredible offspring, this enormous quantity of children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And his wife was already 65 when he first heard that promise. And then when he had to wait 25 years for the fulfillment, the first fulfillment of that promise in Isaac. He then showed that same belief when he was willing to sacrifice that same promised son when God asked him to, or rather God told him to. And even though God promised him initially the land, on Abraham's dying day, the only piece of the land of the Holy Land that he owned was a small graveyard he purchased for his wife. That was the only deed he held in the promised land, and yet all of it had been promised to him. And he had faith in the present, even though he didn't see it in his lifetime. And he continued imperfectly. His faith was not always strong. We see him flub again with that weird wife deception, even after being called righteous. His faith is imperfect, but he remains in it to the end of his life continued to exert his belief in the present, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So kind of following, mapping Abraham's example onto our own lives, to believe in God like Abraham did, so that we can be accounted righteous continually in the present, as Abraham is counted righteous, is to believe the promises that God has made to each of us, in particular, in the new covenant. That Jesus really did die, not just for some random reason, but for our sins, our particular sins. That Jesus really is alive right now, interceding for us with the Father. That in your baptism, and it struck me today that every time that the Spirit fills Paul with the preaching about faith, he also always weaves baptism in there in the midst. Right? We see it in a few chapters later in Romans. You've been baptized into his death. In Galatians, you've been baptized. In your baptism, though, all the eye sees is water. We, by faith, believe invisibly the Holy Spirit was shed abroad in our hearts and we were united to Christ as adopted children. Believing by faith that in confirmation, as we're going to be celebrating two weeks from now, that though a man, ordinary man, places hands on your head, God himself stirs up and gives spiritual gifts for the equipping of the Christian life. Believing by faith that your sins really, truly are forgiven. Forgiven and put away. Believing by faith that any good thing that you have ever done, any truly good thing, doesn't come from you. It comes from the Holy Spirit who's been placed within you, stirring up your mind and your heart to those good gifts. He gets the credit. St. Augustine has this incredible phrase that solves like half the problems of theology, which is that the great judgment day when... um, Christian deeds are rewarded, he is crowning his own gifts in his people. 
And that subsequently, gift upon gift, heaven awaits each of us as a free gift. We can't see it now. We don't have any proof to show for it, just like Abraham. But we believe. We believe, and we are counted as righteous. And even when the plans of your life are not working, even when you think God's been leading you some way and it turns out you're too weak for it, even when you may have been waiting for a particular blessing in prayer for a long, 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 long time, even when you fall into sin, and for that moment, are temporarily rejecting God's revealed will for your life. His promises are still sure. They don't change because he doesn't change. And the invitation always stands. It never goes away till your dying breath. Believe in him. Believe in him. Believe in him and you shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen.